The Blevins Franks Report with Rob Kay of Blevins Franks Wealth Management. Rob is taking a well-deserved two-week summer break from these Sunday reports. Over the next two weeks, we welcome Jason Porter, our director from their St. James's Square office in London. Jason has been with Blevins Franks for almost ten years. He wrote the Blevins Franks guides on resident visas post-Brexit and regularly attends UK moving abroad and French property exhibitions, meeting people who are just starting their journey towards buying their holiday home or about thinking of moving to France. Since we're in the middle of the summer now, many people are listening to us while in the Riviera on their holidays. Plus, of course, we have people tuning in online from the UK. So our discussion today is aimed at those who have not moved to France yet, whether they've only just started to think about it, or they're getting close to leaving the UK. Well, Jason, it's nice to catch up with you. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. OK, then. Let's start with Brexit, Jason. Brexit has come and gone, but has anything changed? Um, I think when you look at uh, the kind of whole parameter of, of what Brexit can be, and it's an incredibly wide subject, for, for those people that are looking at buying property in Europe, potentially looking at moving to Europe as well, the main area that they will see will be around the kind of process they have to go through to be able to move, to be able to live in the EU. And that's really all around visas and residency permits. And now it's a requirement that if you're going to be spending more than 90 days in any rolling 180-day period in the EU, that you're required to get a visa. Uh, and then potentially when, once you arrive in the country you're moving to, that convert that into a residency permit. And these things have to be applied for in advance from the consulate of the respective country in the UK. Generally, you're looking at doing that around about three months before you want to actually travel. Uh, and, you know, UK nationals now are required to satisfy a minimum level of kind of financial wealth. Uh, so they're not going to be a burden on the country they're going to. And they have to get a minimum level of um, health cover, be it what I call public or private. So, you know, if they can access the health system in the country they're going to, that's fine which uh, most UK nationals can do if they're if they're at UK state pension age. Or if they're not, they're not able to access that health care uh, in the public system, then they have to acquire private medical insurance to cover them for the period that they're in the country. Um, so there's obviously some additional expense there compared to what the situation used to be when we was part of the EU. In terms of UK nationals that are already living abroad, if they've moved abroad after 31st December 2020, when we fully left the EU, then when those people come back to the UK, they will actually have to get some form of travel insurance because they can no longer access UK national, national health care on the basis that they used to be able to do uh, when they were in the UK themselves because it's a residency-based system. So it's, that's something to be aware of. Um, other things like taxation... Um, that, that wouldn't have changed at all because the double tax treaties between the UK and other countries in Europe uh, have been around for many years and that decides the interaction between the two countries' tax systems. So if you're living in one country with income in another, then the situation on how that's taxed hasn't changed at all. Um, from a UK state pension perspective, um, there was agreement on the basis that the UK would continue to give the triple lock uh, inflationary increases to the UK state pension for those people that move to Europe going forward. So much has remained the same, but the main area that people will see as a difference will be around those visas and residency permits. Yep. Well, many people start with a holiday home in the Med. 
What would you say are the two to three most important issues they need to be aware of when buying property abroad? I think probably what you're looking at, that the main overriding factor is the UK has a, has a common law system of law, of legal process, whilst in Europe they, they use what we call civil law. Um, and as those systems have grown up over the last few hundred years or so, they've kind of diverged in terms of the legal processes that are involved uh, and what you need to do to go through to, uh, say, acquire a property. So the UK system for acquiring a property is completely different to that in Europe. So it's to be aware of what those differences are and what the process is. Um, The most important things are obviously you will have to pay a deposit, much like you do in the UK. So it's being aware of when that is demanded and when it's payable. And the fact that you generally, much like the UK, can't get that back if the deal falls through. But also, when are you actually liable to pay for the property? Because that is much earlier in the uh, process in Europe than it is in the UK. You also have to be aware that if you're acquiring a property abroad, that that is an asset for their succession law, for their succession tax, estate tax. So it's being aware, depending upon the value of the property, that that will have an exposure. Uh, and as it's liable to their succession law, it also means that you've got to decide who you want to pass that onto if you were uh, that real estate onto if you were going to pass away. So you're probably going to need need a local will to deal with that, so that probate can be dealt with relatively quickly in that situation. And if uh, perish the thought if the, if the property is pricey enough and it moves into what we call wealth tax territory, which you know a number of countries in Europe do have a wealth tax. If it is of sufficient cost, then you need to think about, right, what is my wealth tax exposure on this on an annual basis so that you can make provision for that. And there's a number of local taxes that people need to be aware of as well. You're able to buy a property. There's, there's no barriers to, to you doing that in Europe, but it's just to be aware that the system is somewhat different from what it is in the UK. Well, let's say some listeners are now about to retire and want to remove abroad and live in what was their holiday home. Blevins Franks are experts in the cross-border tax and financial planning aspects of moving abroad. So what are three of the four commonest issues that British expatriates need to consider? Um, I think the most thing, uh, the most important things to think about is tax-efficient investments in the UK, things like ISAs, national savings, those kind of investments, are not tax-efficient in Europe. Europe doesn't allow you to get the same tax benefits as you would do from those kind of vehicles, those investment vehicles. So one of the things that we certainly uh, discuss with clients is, do you you wish to retain those investments, bearing in mind there's no tax efficiency if you're moving abroad? And many people do decide to cash those in and look at what might be a local alternative. So what is tax in the country you're moving to. Most European countries do have tax compliant, tax efficient structures for holding cash and investments. And they could also have, those kind of vehicles can also have local wealth tax, local succession tax benefits as well. So it's certainly worthwhile talking to us or even talking to any other local financial planning specialist who can advise on those kind of investments to decide what's the best way forward. Now, Pensions is quite an important area for people that are moving abroad, retiring abroad. And one of the simplest things that you can do to actually uh, improve your position is if it was always your intention to take the 25% lump sum from the pension, then to do that before you leave the UK. 
because in the UK that 25% will be tax-free, whilst abroad you're looking at their legislation around pension income, and most European countries do not have a tax-free element of the pension. Um, So you're obviously going to be much more tax-efficient if you're taking that in the UK. Um, Most EU countries do not allow you to pass your assets on death to whoever you want to. So in the UK, you have complete what we call testamentary freedom. So if you put together a will, in that will, you can decide who you want to pass your assets on to. And there's generally no real restriction in what you do there. In Europe, they have something called forced airship, uh, which came out of the Napoleonic times, which basically means that um, assets should really go to children on death in fixed proportions, depending upon the number of children there are, quite often in preference to a spouse. So it's worthwhile establishing what the rules are locally so that you can see what you need to do to make sure that the surviving spouse has sufficient assets and property so that they can enjoy uh, the remainder of their life and make sure that you take account of that kind of forced airship position. We always recommend people have um, generally two wills, a will in the UK to deal with uh, any UK aspects and a will in the country they're moving to so they can uh, deal with the different rules there. And the two wills allow you to get probate much easier in in each country. Uh, We also have to look at now wealth tax. uh, And wealth tax is a particular issue in some countries. And it's being aware of... Uh, if you're moving there, that potentially you're going to be liable to wealth tax on a worldwide basis. Uh, and that can, most countries, it's it's generally real estate that's included, but in other countries they also include other investments as well. So it's establishing what your annual exposure might be there as well. Uh, just so you know what you're going to be paying, you know what your liabilities are, you know what your deadlines are, and you know when the tax has to be paid. Is it a good idea, if you can afford it, to keep your old UK home for a few years? either as somewhere to stay when you visit the UK, or somewhere you can return to if the experiment of living abroad goes wrong. Looking at this from a personal angle, you can see why people might do it, and we certainly come across it an awful lot, where they, they do say, well, I'm going to retain my property just in case I don't like it, and it's somewhere I can come back to, it's familiar. But actually, from a tax planning perspective, a financial planning perspective, it's not actually a good idea and and to do so has its own tax consequences uh, in both the country you're moving to and in the UK so it's worthwhile being aware of that because real estate is always taxable in the country in which the real estate is located and if you live in another country in most most cases it's taxable there as well Um, so it's, it's being aware of that particular position on real estate. The simplest position from both the UK and uh, the perspective of the country you're moving to is to sell it before you leave the UK. And on that basis, there'll be no liability in the UK if you've always occupied it as your main home. And there'll be no liability in the country you're moving to because you've sold that before you've actually moved. If you sell the property within nine months of moving out, then again, your exposure from a UK and and a EU member state perspective should be zero. Beyond that, then potentially small liabilities can start arising. And the longer that non-occupation of that property as the main home goes on, then from a UK point of view, your liability could be increasing gradually, um, but it will start at relatively low levels and increasing gradually. But from the country you've moved to point of view, they will have a different set of rules. The UK operates uh, an occupation and non-occupation system, 
where basically whatever gain arises on um, the, the property in the UK, which used to be the main home, is a portion between the main home when it's not taxable and when it's not occupied as the main home, which is taxable. And you portion the gain and tax it accordingly. In Europe, they have what we would call a cliff edge system, where basically if you've moved out of a property, even if it may be outside of the country you're living in, if you've moved out of that property and it was your main home, then quite often after 12 months, that property can suddenly become liable to full capital gains tax in that country. There may be some other reliefs available for how long you've owned it, but there is that potential exposure. Uh, as I said, 12 months, other countries it might be 24 months. So it's being aware that retaining your old main home could give you a liability in both the UK and in the country you've moved to. Now, under the double tax treaties between the UK and most other countries, then any liability would be payable in the UK first, but you get a credit for that liability against any liability in the country you're moving to. Overall, generally, you end up paying whichever is the highest. You never pay double, but you end up paying just whichever is the highest. But as I said, the simplest position is to uh, sell that property prior to leaving the UK if possible. If you do need to retain it, you want to retain it, and that goes on for a good number of years, it's being aware that you will have a liability in either or both the UK and the country you're living in. Well, here in France, how about another possibility? That instead of selling the UK property, you rent it out. Now, how does that work? if you're living in France? That's, it's quite an interesting calculation, and, and this all comes down to the double tax treaty that the UK and France have between them, which establishes how you tax assets, how you tax income or gains. If you have the asset in one country or the income's in one country, but you live in the other, and it, it lays out a whole set of rules of all the different types of income or assets that you could have and where they're going to be taxable. Um, the UK-France double tax treaty basically says that rental income that arises in the UK is taxable in the UK. And when we say rent rental income, we mean net rental income, so after expenses. And in the UK, you would take that net rental income, you'd get relief for your UK personal allowances against that, and then anything left over would be taxed at 20%, through 20%, then potentially up to 40 and so on. Um, and you would pay tax in the UK on that basis. In France... The net rental income, again, after expenses, would be included in your taxable income, again, so it almost looks like it's going to be taxed twice. The tax and social charge liability is calculated, but then you'll get a credit of exactly the same amount, a notional credit of exactly the same amount, that goes against the liability to eliminate it, which you might think, that's a bit strange, what's the point of including that if I'm not going to have any liability on it? But the point is that in including the income, you've pushed other sources of income, other income streams, other gains or whatever, into a higher tax bracket in France. So the impact is you may not pay any tax in France on the rental income, but you will pay slightly higher taxes on other sources of income on that basis. So that's pretty much how it works. Many thanks, Jason, and you'll be back next week with more information that you need to know before moving to France. The Blevins Franks Report. If you would like more information on any of the topics discussed in this program, contact your local Blevins Franks office on 0493001780 or Riviera at BlevinsFranks.com. Focusing on the big picture. At Blevins Franks, our financial advisors take a holistic approach. We get to know our clients, your family situation and objectives, and our integrated advice covers tax and estate planning, savings and investments, and pensions. 
We aim to consolidate many of your assets, keeping things simple for you and your family and heirs. Get in touch with your local Blevins Franks advisors today. Visit BlevinsFranks.com. That's BlevinsFranks.com.